All right, please everyone take your Bibles to Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5. We continue our series on the healer of the broken, talking about the healing miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ as, as we go throughout the Gospels. And to my best ability, we've tried making them uh, in chronological order. I have skipped over a few, um, mainly because I've recently preached on those miracles uh, at one time. So we are skipping over some. Now we're, uh, this is our fourth sermon in this series, Mark chapter 5, verse 25. When we begin reading, there is no doubt you'll probably know exactly what story this is. But I hope maybe to uh, open up the scriptures and, and show you something that maybe you've never thought of before, that you, you, you know, maybe will help you through your week or whatever you need tonight. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you in, in some certain way for you. But we start reading in verse number 25 of uh, Mark chapter 5, and the Bible says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And verse 31, the Bible says, And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? I find it funny in the book of Luke, Luke specifically says that Peter and those that were with Peter, so I think he's kind of blaming Peter a little bit here for saying this. Peter often spoke out, but that's just a unique thing how Luke kind of blamed Peter there. The, the people that were with Peter, they uh, here in verse number 30, Jesus asked who touched, verse 31, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Verse 32, And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight asking you to do something special in our hearts. Lord, we uh, opened up the Bible and we're trying to uh, learn something about you, but Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures to us. Lord, we need to be open to receiving a message, whatever it may be in our lives. And so, Lord, that's what I pray and ask that you would do tonight. Lord, direct me, give me discretion, give me wisdom. May I not say anything that would be uh, dishonoring to you, Lord, but Lord, may you receive glory and honor from the preached word tonight. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Do you ever have problems in your life that seem so big and so large that uh, at the time you don't really know how you're going to overcome them? Well, tonight I just simply want to talk to you about this thought, bottom shelf problems. Bottom shelf problems. Yesterday I went to Home Depot and I was going to gather some lumber. I'm making a, a pitcher's mound for our uh, high school boys baseball team down at the school and and so I decided to, you know, become the great carpenter that I never was and uh, go buy some lumber. 
I went down to Home Depot, and you may not know this, but there's two entrances, well, three if you count the garden section at Home Depot, but there's really two main entrances, entrances to Home Depot. You have the normal people side, which is much closer to the paint and the electrical, and then you have what is called the contractor's entrance. Now, which one did I choose? Obviously, the contractor's entrance, because I wanted to look awesome. I walk in, yeah, I'm, I'm 25, I own my own contracting business. I wasn't even smart enough to know, you know, anything about what I was going in there for. But I go into Home Depot there. I have to search all of the aisles to find treated lumber because I'm walking down all the aisles just to show you how little I know about what I'm doing in that building. I'm walking down the siding aisle and the trim aisle to find the treated lumber. And so I've got to go in there and I've got a specific amount of two by tens I need to buy. I've got a specific uh, size of plywood that I need to buy to build this pitcher's mound. And then I need to buy some carpet that will go over the mound there. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm trying to see what I need. I know specifically what I need. I go to the aisle. I finally find the treated lumber. I look and they have two by eights in 10 foot, two by eights in 12 foot. 2x8s in 10 foot, 2x10s in 8 foot, 2x10s in 12 feet, 2x12s in 8, 10, and 12 feet. Now I'm already confused just walking into the contractor's entrance. I picked the wrong side to go into, so I'm out of my element already. And the only size that they do not have is the size that I need, a 2x10 that is exactly 10 feet in length. So I'm looking everywhere for it. I'm going down the rows. It seems like there is some organization to this crazy melee of lumber. It seems like the people at Home Depot did put thought into it, but I cannot figure it out at all. And so I'm going down. There's the two by eights, two by eights, two by tens, and the one that I need is missing, and then the two by twelves. And so I have no real shame as far as going and asking an employee for help, especially since I'm already at an extremely manly store. Okay, so if I'm at, you know, JCPenney, which I would never be there ever, and I ask where the men's clothing is, I probably wouldn't do that. I'd just keep walking around until I found it. But I'm at Home Depot, right? This is a manly store. And so I go up to the kind little five-foot-two lady. I say, ma'am, I need help finding lumber. <laughs> and so she, she comes over, and she, she's going to help me. And I said, ma'am, I think I've found the lumber that I need. It's just on the third level. She goes, okay, well, I'm not quite tall enough to reach up there. <laughs> Good one, Mrs. Five-Foot-Two Lady, who already is making me feel insecure about what I know. And so she uh, kind of makes fun of me there for a little bit, and she goes off. She's like, well, I'll get some help. I stand there for about 10 minutes and get no help. So then I go to the customer service desk, and, and I really am out of my element. I don't know what I'm doing. I think I know where the wood is, but I'm not sure. I go to the customer service desk, ma'am, I need some help finding the lumber. I think I found it, but it's on the third level, so we'll probably need to get, what are those uh, a machine things called with the lip, oh, forklift. We'll probably have to get one of those. And so uh, we, I ask for her help. I go back to the aisle. Ten minutes later, I still have not had any help. So I'm sitting there looking over the blueprints of what I'm going to build, and finally a lady walks up and she says, okay, you need me to help you? Yeah, that'd be great. I need that lumber up on the third shelf. And so she starts to help me. She comes and pulls the little gates that block off the aisles when you pull the forklift in there. And they're going to go uh, uh, to the back. They've called the guy that works the forklift. And, and that guy shows up. Now, he looks like he knows what he's doing. 
He's got a phone on one hip. He's got a, a Home Depot nail pouch with no nails in it that he's got on him. And, and he looks like he knows. And so uh, they call him over there and say, where have you been? Well, I was helping a customer load. And, and so they, they come to him and they say, he needs help finding two by tens in 10 foot length. And he said, okay, uh, we need a forklift? Yeah, yeah, we need a forklift. And so that man walks over to exactly where I was looking, and he looks very puzzled. And he talks to the lady, he says, I I see him talking to her, and she looks puzzled now. And he comes over to me and he says, sir, were the ones there not good enough? And I said, well, I, I didn't look at the ones three stories high. And he goes, no, 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 it's, come here, I'll show you. And there was one stack of lumber that was not labeled. And I'm not smart enough to guess how, how, how long 10 feet is, but my lumber was not labeled. Now, there were 40 of them there. And there was a whole stack of lumber the size I needed three stories up. But to me, I didn't know where the lumber was, and I thought it was way up there, and, and I needed help getting that. You know what I did? I just went and found somebody with experience and power to get the job done. I had a problem, and I went with somebody who could fix it. And he helped me right along, and I busted my knuckles trying to get it in the, the truck. I take it home. I'm all ready to build. I'm wearing my Bob the Builder cap. I'm singing Bob the Builder songs, and Dad's like, oh, we'll just do it Monday. Yes, sir. Sounds good. But I had a problem, and I went with somebody who knew how to help. To me, three stories high seemed so out of reach. You know, I couldn't get there. I don't know how to run a forklift. I I didn't have the power to get up there, and I even thought about scaling the, the scaffolding to find my lumber. But to me, it was a problem out of my control. But to that man, he was like, what about the ones on the bottom shelf? You know, to God, so often our problems seem so bottom shelf when to us they seem so enormous. God says, I'll help you. We'll solve this thing. And tonight we want to look at a lady who had a bottom shelf problem. And I just want to look at three characteristics of her bottom shelf problem. First of all, I want you to see in verse 26 that it was an overwhelming problem. It was an overwhelming problem. And I don't want to uh, uh, mislead you at all. I don't want you to think that when I use the term bottom shelf, it means that problems are small. It just means they're in God's control. And to this lady, as we'll study and we'll look at, this was an overwhelming issue. She had an issue of blood, a a hemorrhage, if you will, and, and, and she, to her, it was very overwhelming. Look, first of all, in verse 26, notice the suffering of her problem. The Bible here in verse 26 said this, and had suffered many things of many physicians. Now this lady obviously had a problem, so she goes to the doctors for help, hoping that they have some aid to give her. She goes to them and they prescribe remedies, they prescribe treatments, but for her, none of them work. And I don't know at all what methods they used, but I know that they were painful. You say, Brother Andrew, how do you know that? Because the word suffer here is the Greek word which means to suffer, to be in pain. But I want you to note this. This is the exact same word the Bible references, the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross 12 different times. 
Now, I don't want to mislead you and think, make you think that this lady's suffering was at all comparable to the suffering of our Lord and Savior, but it was painful because the Bible uses the same word. This is the exact same word that the Lord tells Ananias uh, when Ananias is to go inform Saul of, uh, 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 to help Saul of Tarsus uh, to become Paul, and Ananias is a little intimidated, and God tells Ananias, I will show you how many things he must suffer for my sake. Now, what did Paul go through in his ministry? The Bible tells us, as Paul recounts, that he suffered many shipwrecks, that three different times Paul was beaten by the Jews 39 times with the cat of nine tails. And I'm not saying this woman's pain was comparable to that, but I am saying the Bible makes no bones about it. The woman was in pain, and she suffered. And to her, there was a lot of physical torment that must have followed with this issue. But not only physical pain, but emotional pain. Because this woman, by Levitical law, was not allowed to be around people. She was on an island. She was ostracized. Leviticus uh, 15, verse 19 says, And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days. And whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the even. The Bible goes on to describe that not only the woman was unclean, but any chair she sat on, any bed she laid on, any garment she touched, or any person that touched her would be unclean until the evening. She was on an island. But this is what's crazy. That person, that lady, was to be put apart seven days But this woman had had the problem 12 years. And the Bible goes on in verse 25 of Leviticus chapter 15 to tell us that if the woman's problem uh, uh, went farther than her accounted time, that she was to be considered unclean and the same restrictions applied until the issue was gone. Oh, the pain must have been excruciating, the treatments and the remedies that the doctors applied to her. Those must have been painful and suffering for sure. But the emotional torment of being ostracized by society for 12 years? Boy, could you imagine? You see, every human being has problems, and Christians are not exempt from problems by any means. And I I could not even begin to imagine the problems that you're encountering in your own life. I have no idea what you're going through. But I know that in every problem, the suffering is real. And I could never even begin to to feel the pain that you feel. I could never begin to uh, even imagine trying to uh, help you along because you're feeling pain. I have no idea you're feeling. But this woman was dealing with some suffering. Not only was she dealing with suffering, but secondly, look at the spending. The spending. Look in verse number 26. The Bible says that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. You know what this woman would have given to get rid of her problem? Everything. Because she did. She was willing to give away every dollar she ever made, any, anything that she had ever been given, anything she would ever earned. She was willing to give it all to find relief. I wonder how many people who go pay the psychiatrist money 
when we as Christians know the answer is Christ. I wonder how many people that deal with struggles like addiction and, and, and problems and relationships, I wonder how many people would just say, I would give it all for relief. This woman did. And she suffered and she spent. But thirdly, I want you to notice the skidding. Look at the skidding in verse 26. So she suffered many things of many physicians, and she had spent all that she had, and nothing was bettered. But in fact, but rather grew worse. So every dollar she had ever made that she had given to treatment fell short. Every medical treatment that the doctors had ever given her didn't help. And in fact, I don't know if it was by result of the treatments or by result of the issue, but she was increasingly growing worse and worse. What a terrible problem. Man, I I couldn't even imagine having a problem where I was doing every single thing in my own power and every, every prob, uh, everything that anybody else could help me with. I couldn't imagine having a problem where uh, I just was at the end of my rope and I was still getting deeper and deeper in the sinking sand. But that's this woman's problem. But I love how the Bible reassures us in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for your soul. The Bible goes on in Psalm chapter 55 to tell us, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Bottom shelf problems don't mean they're easy. Bottom shelf problems don't mean you won't suffer, or that you won't feel spent at times, or that you're just continuously sliding to a worse and worse position. Bottom shelf problems seem large to the person involved. And don't listen to the scoffers who sit beside you and say, oh, you just need to faith it out. Problems are real. And Christians are problem, uh, promised problems in the Word of God. Oh, sometimes they seem so large and they seem so real. And this woman's problems were real. And they were hard. But I want you to notice the second characteristic An obvious persistence by this lady. An obvious persistence in verse 27. Now Jesus comes to town. and uh, I want you to notice in verse uh, verse number 27. When she had heard of Jesus. I wonder what would have happened. What would have happened to this lady had she never heard? She still had the issue. And the problem would have continued to get worse and worse until one day she succumbed to it. You know what this world needs? They just need to hear. Uh, and, And we'll back it off of the world. You know what Johnson County needs? Christ. They just need to hear of a Savior that loves them. And this woman's problems were existent. Uh, uh, until she heard of Christ, and then verse 27, uh, she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment. When she had heard of Jesus, she touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. I want you to notice, first of all, the decision. This woman had the opportunity, and I don't know who, it was, uh, who gave it to her, I don't know who had the courage to go tell her about Jesus. 
obviously in this time of the Word of God and in this time of the world, Jesus and news about Jesus was spreading like wildfire. The Messiah had come and the Jews were uh, in shock and they didn't really appreciate his ministry at all. The Gentiles were amazed at the miracles that this man could do. So news was burning and spreading throughout the land. One day, this lady who had an issue and, and had tried every remedy known to man, one day this lady hears rumor of a healer that's come to town. And she makes a decision that day. And she says, I'm going to go see if he can help me. I've got a problem and I've exhausted every means by which I know to use. I've, I've gone every which way I know. I have nothing left in my name. The only thing I own is this issue. And so I will go to Jesus. What a simple decision. But what an important one. You know how Christians struggle through problems? Because they have difficulty taking it to Jesus. This woman was very smart because when she heard of a healer, she took it to the one who could heal the problem. And we all have problems, no doubt about it. We have uh, problems that seem overwhelming at times, but I promise you, Jesus is there to help. He's there to help you through whatever you're going through. And this is what the lady decided to do. But that's not to say she didn't have plenty of excuses, right? I mean, couldn't she just have made an excuse as to why not to go to Jesus that day? I mean, her first excuse could have simply been, Levitical law prohibits me from going. I'm unclean. I, I have no business being in a crowd of hundreds of people. The Bible describes it as a throng of people. I have no, I have no business being in that crowd. I, I, I shouldn't go to Jesus. Not only did she have that excuse, but she had the excuse of, I'm a nobody. The miracle we'll look at next week is the miracle of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. And maybe you don't know it, but the context of our story is the Lord has already been summoned by Jairus to come and for him to come heal uh, Jairus' daughter. And so uh, she's on, uh, Jesus is on his way to go do a miracle for a somebody. I mean, a big wig. I mean, somebody that's important and that other people love. This is just a lady who's been an outcast for 12, of her, 12 years of her life. And this lady's excuse that day could have been, what, what's Jesus going to do with me? If she did have the courage to, to muster up the, the uh, willingness to go to the crowd, the second she saw him escorted by Jairus, she had to be a little deterred. Who am I? I'm just a woman that nobody cares about. Jesus has got bigger and better problems to solve. Oh, she had excuses that day. <laughs> Not only did she have those excuses, but she could have just simply said this. You know, I've tried everything else. He's going to fail too. I spent every dollar on every doctor I can, and now they've all abandoned me. She had excuses. Christian, can I just encourage you in this area? Problems are real, and no doubt you have problems. But don't excuse your way out of taking them to the Lord. Because excuses always exist. Oh, something as simple as, well, I'm the man of this house. And I'm a good money manager. And, and I, I've always worked hard for what I have. And, and we're, just, we're just on some hard times now. Just an excuse. You say, uh, you know, I'm not the problem in this relationship. It's not me, it's her or, or it's him. I, it's not me. 
He'll have to fix it. Just an excuse. You see, Jesus is wanting to help. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the authority. Jesus is not the one limiting you. It's your unwillingness to take it to Him. But she made a decision to go. I think that would be a wise thing for us to do is take our problems to the one who can solve them. Take your burden to the Lord. This decision, first of all, and then secondly, the distinction, verse 29. Now the miracle has been performed. The Lord has healed her of this issue. The Bible says, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Distinctly different than she was before at the moment she encountered the Lord. Distinctly different. She felt immediate relief. She felt immediate change. She felt healed. I'm so thankful that I have the promise of when I am saved, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. And I'm thankful that the Lord didn't save me and leave me to be the old man that I was. But the Lord saved me and He gave me a new nature and new desires and new wants and new tastes and, and new hopes and new aspirations. And I'm thankful that the Lord loved me enough to save me and change me. I don't know about you, but I love the way a new car smells. It's one of the, honestly, it's one of the most awesome smells in all the world. So awesome, in fact, that we lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves, and we go to the car wash in our 1982 Volkswagen, and they say, what scent do you want? I want new car smell. You're such a liar, you lying Christian. I want new car smell. You know what the Lord did for you at salvation? He gave you a new smell. Something distinct, something new. You ever get in a new car, you say, it smells nice. But there's no doubt what that smell is. You don't say, did you leave some fish under the seat? No, no, you know what it is. It's new car smell. Can I encourage us tonight, Christian? You know what we need to get? We need to get some new Christian smell about us. You say, what a corny thing to say. Hey, write it down. It'll be in a book one day, I promise. We need new Christian smell. And even if we have to go to the car wash and and go to the car wash of the Lord and ask Him to clean our lives up a little bit and ask Him to help us through our problems a little bit, and you say, what scent do you want? What flavor do you want? I want new Christian scent, Lord. Maybe we are supposed to be distinct after we encounter Christ. This woman felt different. Not only was she distinct, but I want you to notice the difference in her that everybody else didn't have. Look in verse number 31. And his disciples said unto him, now this is right after she has touched the Lord. And Jesus feels the the, uh, uh, touch, verse 31, and his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? I love that. Uh, You know, every once in a while, the disciples kind of stick their foot in their mouth a little bit. And right here, I think this is one of those times when the Lord is walking through the crowd and and he, he feels something great happen, a miracle take place. And Jesus says, boys, who is it that touched me? Did you see it? Did you see it? And they say, Lord, come on, let's get real about this thing. There is hundreds of people 
pressing upon you. Peter's over here with his sword, stabbing people, getting them out of the way. God, Lord, we're having to use uh, electric sticks to beat them off of you. They're thronging on you. Lord, uh, you ask who touched you? You know, this lady wasn't the only pro- person with a problem that day. And there was a whole multitude of people there who were touching the Lord. Why was her problem solved and theirs what? Why was hers any different than theirs? Can I just be honest with you? I I think it was simply because there's a large difference in thronging the Lord and trusting the Lord. You want to know a man who thronged the Lord but never knew anything about trusting Him? The man who betrayed Him. Around every campfire, Peter was around. At every meal that Andrew was at. I mean, Judas was there. He heard the great sermons. He heard the great parables. He heard it. It was real. And yet, he just didn't trust it. Why are we here? Don't be here just because you want to be around Christians. Be here because you want to know Christ. Don't come here just to say that you, you, you came and you worship Jesus. Come here to feel worship and truly worship God, as the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. Why are you here? Because there's a big difference than being, just being present and really feeling His power. And this woman had the opportunity to trust in His power, and she was changed forever. We've seen here now the overwhelming problem and and the obvious persistence. But I want to move on and I want you to see the owned pursuit. Verse 33. Now, basically what's taking place is Christ has asked, who is it that touched me? The disciples were at all no help as they said, Lord, everybody's touching you. They're they're thronging upon you. They're, They're pressing upon you, Lord. Everybody said, we don't know who touched you. You ask us who touched you? The disciples weren't any help. Now, this lady's plan stems back all the way to when she's first introduced because her plan was, if I can just touch his garment. But she's had this plan for quite a while, and now the Lord says, who was it that touched me? And now let's notice her reaction as she has been changed. She's felt the change in verse 33. The Bible says, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. First of all, I want you to notice that she was fearful. And I don't mean in a good way. She was afraid of Christ. She was afraid of what he might do to him, what he might do to her. You say, how do you know that? Because the word used here for fear is the same word that we get our English word phobia from. It's phobia. So the word used to describe her impression of Christ and this answer and this trembling was not a reverential awe as we would expect most Christians to have of their God. It was truly a scared fear. Can I ask you why? I mean, this is the healer. This is the man she heard about. And this was the man that she had planned to go go touch the hem of his garment and to be changed forever. I mean, this has been her plan the entire time. 
Why is she so nervous about answering it? Can I ask you a question? Why are we so nervous about the answer we get from Christ? Have you ever heard anybody say, Well, I would surrender my life to serve the Lord, but I'd be afraid He'd send me to Ghana. Why are we so fearful of our God? And I don't mean in a, a good way. I mean, why are we scared of what He might ask us to do? You say, I, 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 would, I would surrender to preach, but you know, I, I, I just don't know if I can give up the six-figure salary. I just don't know if I would be able. Why are we scared of such a good God? He has nothing but the best interest for you. And by the way, if you have been called to preach and you have no doubt about it, I promise you happiness will not be found in the size of your check. Happiness will not be found in what you can do for your family. Happiness will be found in every soul led to Christ as a result of God using a broken, worthless vessel like you. Why are we so scared of Him? Can I say this? Because this lady just didn't know Christ yet. She just didn't know how good He was. You know how this lady knew Christ at this point? As the healer. She didn't know him as the Savior. At this point, she had not truly recognized Jesus' inherent goodness. And the only reason I can think why Christians would not trust God with all their problems is because they just don't know him like I do. They just don't know how good he is. They just don't know how he makes little problems seem, uh, he makes big problems seem so small. They just don't know how good God is. All the time. And so we hoard our problems. And we have our issues and we say, well, for fear of the answer I might get, I'll just, I'll just handle this one on my own. Don't be scared of Christ. He loves you and He loved you so much He gave His life for you. Now you don't think He'll support you with His right hand? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? God doesn't want to harm you in any way. God doesn't want to hinder you in any way. God wants to help and heal you. There's no reason to hoard your problems. Christ is sitting in heaven saying, I'm waiting for a Christian who has a big enough issue to just say, I will come boldly to the throne of grace and I might uh, obtain mercy in my time of need. I'm waiting for a Christian who will just say, I will go to him because he is always good to me. Don't be fearful of our God. He's too good for that. And secondly, I want you to notice that she was forthright in the way she answered him. In verse 33, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, I hope that says enough to you that I don't have to explain a lot. I don't know what was said in the conversation. I just know she told him the truth. Maybe she told him the truth about the 12 years she had felt lonely and betrayed. Maybe she told him the truth about the pain that the doctors put her through in hopes of finding a cure or a remedy for her issue. I don't know what was said. I know it was the truth. Maybe it was just the fact that she felt bitter about having to go through this issue when other people didn't have to go through it. I don't know what it was, but I know it was the way she felt. 
we go to God and we do ask Him for His help, don't try to fashion your prayers in such a way that you impress Him. Don't go to Him with the these and thous when you're just asking Him to help you who don't know what to do. So often we get in a place where we think that we can withhold information from our God. You know what God wants? He wants a Christian who will be honest with Him. He wants a Christian who will come to an altar and say, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. And I've tried being the man you want me to be, and I've tried doing the things you want me to do, but Lord, I'm just, it's out of my hands. And this woman comes to Jesus, and she tells him all the truth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what? If you feel like crying when you pray, why don't you just go ahead and do it because he knows how you feel. If you feel broken, man, and you're sitting on the, uh, in a pew tonight, you say, I just don't have an answer. You don't have to confess how you feel to God. He already knows. He's just waiting for somebody who will be truthful in the way that they feel with him. And just say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I, I have no idea. I, I'm just at the end of my rope. When Amy and I were dating, this was very on in our, early on in our relationship, uh, I told her, and you may find this comical, but I said, Amy, I'm done. And she kind of looked at me sideways. I said, maybe you don't understand. I do a lot of dumb things. <laughs> I she's in the nursery. I don't, that was Mandy. Sister, I was just only emulating you. I, don't. I told her, I just, I just was very open and up front. I said, honey, I'm not by any means perfect. I just do a lot of dumb things, and there will be times when you'll be so angry at me. I'm talking about this was the first week we were dating, and I just said, I just do things that sometimes don't look I, like I put a lot of thought into them. And she said, okay. You know why I said that? It's so she couldn't be mad at me when I do dumb things. And I said it because I was being open and honest with her. I didn't want to paint this facade that I was the perfect man. I'm far from the perfect man. I just said, I'm dumb. You know the Lord's looking for? He's looking for a Christian who will just come to him and say, I need help. I just don't know what to do. And the Lord asked this lady to, to reveal herself, and she just goes into the truth. The Lord's not looking for your show. He knows you. In fact, He knows you better than you know you. Just be honest with the Lord. He's so good to us. We don't have to hide anything from Him. But thirdly, I want you to notice, the thing that separated this woman from everybody else in the crowd that day was she had faith. She had faith. But you know what I'm thankful for? is the Lord works for people with varying amounts of faith. I mean, just so far in our sermon series, we've looked at four different people. First of all was a man who was demon-possessed and showed up at the synagogue in Mark chapter 1. What type of faith did he have? No, Jesus just healed him. 
Mark, uh, John chapter 4, we saw the nobleman's son who was sick. What type of faith did he have? I don't know. He goes to Jesus, asks Jesus to come down to his house and says, Lord, come heal my son. Uh, Jesus says, go your own way. Your son's been healed. The man goes back to his house and says, servants, at what hour was the son healed? And they said, oh, it was about the seventh hour. And it was their word that confirmed to him that Jesus was truly the one who healed his son. Not a lot of faith. He just had faith Jesus could do it. We find ourselves now in a story with this lady who comes to Jesus and says, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment, I know he would heal me. The man born of four, his four friends take a man who is crippled and lower him down through the roof. What a service that must have been as they lower him down through the ceiling. And, and, and he has enough faith and his friends have enough faith that they just say, if we can get him in front of Jesus, maybe he'll work for him. As we study these sermons, I promise you we'll come across a man who goes up to Jesus and he stops him from entering his house and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you would even come into my house. And Jesus says these words, I have not seen so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Oh yeah, that guy has great faith, but I have to say the guy that just asked Jesus to come, varying amounts of faith, would you agree? You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus specifically tells us the amount of faith it takes to get to heaven. If you can believe like a little child, that's faith to get you to heaven. You know what Jesus says is mountain-moving type faith? Faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. I'm thankful tonight that it doesn't matter if you've been saved one minute, one year, or ten years. Your faith is not what's limiting you. It is not the amount of your faith that's limiting you. It's just the amount that you trust Christ and say, Lord, I know you can do it. I know, Lord, you can do it. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It just matters that you have faith at all. Well, this lady came to Jesus that day, and I believe she shows an enormous amount of faith as she grabs the hem of his garment and says, I will secretly sneak in and just touch the hem of his garment and I will, I will remove myself from his presence, but I know that will heal me. I'm thankful tonight that it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, all that matters is if you can muster any faith at all. You know why? Because Jesus wants to work in your life. And I promise you, if you just have enough faith to go to him and ask you to help him, ask him to help you, oh, he will. Oh, he'll help you. And I'm glad that we don't have to uh, muster our faith or try to encourage our faith or strengthen our faith to get our God to work for us. He's just looking for Christians with a little bit of faith. Sometimes I feel so insecure in the amount of faith that I have. And I say, Lord, I, I need you to build my faith. Lord, I want you to strengthen my faith. Lord, stretch my faith. And I'm glad he still works for those of little faith little enough faith to go down just a shepherd boy and walk down in a valley and face a giant nearly twice his size. Just a little bit of faith. Just enough faith for three Hebrew children to say, uh, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king, but we will not bow down to the graven image. Uh, it may be that our God will work for us, but it gets good because they say, but if not, we will still not bow down, king. Lord, even if he doesn't work for uh, King, even if the Lord doesn't work for us, we're not going to bow down to you because he can save us. Oh, man, it just takes a little faith. Are you holding God out of your problems? Are you keeping your problems to yourself? Are you hoarding your issues? God wants to help you. Christ wants to help you. 
Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now, I've not held very many jobs in my life. I've worked at a cutting horse ranch, and I did that for about three years, and that was fun until we ran out of money. And, uh, and yeah, that's not really a profession you want to get in and make money in. That's a profession you want to go teach your son how not to waste money. So Dad got us out of that one after about three years. And so then I worked in California at a golf store. And my two uh, bosses were two ladies, and they were very nice to me. Uh, they weren't so nice to Miss Pansy Olson's son. Uh, they liked him at first, but then they just didn't like him at all. So, uh, But they were good bosses. They were friendly. They were always kind to me. They never did me any wrong to speak of. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was a good job. And then the third job I've held is here at the church. And I've now been working here full time for almost four years. And I've been working uh, as an intern for now eight years. So I have been here much longer than I've ever been at any other job. But there is one distinct difference in this one than all the other ones, and that is my dad's the boss. And you know what? I don't ask off very often. I try not doing that. But I do go to him every now and again and say, Dad, can I, can I have off these days? We're going to North Carolina to spend my money and waste my time. She's not in here, remember? No, if Caitlin's in there, Caitlin, ah, ah, so Amy couldn't hear me anyway. And so I'll go to my dad and I'll say, Dad, is there any way I can get these days off? And I've never really one time had a doubt as what, what he was going to say. No, get back in there and make me some money. That's, that's usually, no, he always says, yeah, no problem, that's good. But I will say when I had to go to Chris and Sunshine at the House of Golf in Palmdale, California, I was not looking forward to asking off. Um, Chris, do you mind if I uh, have the day off? I, I've got a test I really need to study for. If you think that's really what I took off for, you're crazy. Chris, I want to run down to Chick-fil-A in Ontario, which is about 80 miles away. <laughs> but I always was scared of asking them for help. I was always scared of what they might say. But I don't really have that issue here because... I have a good relationship with the one who tells me what to do. You know, I don't want to confuse you tonight. Bottom shelf problems are real. But if you have a good relationship with the one that can fix it, what's the problem? I mean, he's got the power. And he has already promised you that he'll help you. The only thing limiting you is how close you feel to him. Because when it's my dad, I don't mind asking him for help anytime. But when it's a stranger, I might. See, a lot of the times the reason people have struggled going to God with their issues, they just don't know him. Because God's never been bad. The Bible says he will never suffer the foot of the righteous to be moved. He's always been good to me. He's always done better than I could have ever expected. Why would we have trouble taking our issues to Him? After all, He's the one that can heal. 